So I'm going to jump into this topic in just a second. Um, before I do, I wanted to just tell you about something really quick, which is that you've maybe heard me talk about Admission on this show before. Admission is the private community in Common Thread Collective, sort of the learning community for um, training in all things e-commerce. I mean, it really, every part of what it means to run an e-commerce business is an incredible program because it's not just courses, um, though there's a lot of backlogged information, tons of it, actually, like more than you could probably ever really get through all the way. Um, but beyond that, it's a community and access to the CTC team, but just as a member of a, a private membership community. Um, and, um, and so it is really cool. I think it's about as good of a learning opportunity as there possibly could be for somebody trying to get good in e-commerce. And the reason I'm bringing it up this week specifically, I've mentioned it sort of ad hoc a few times before in this show, but um, admission is actually opening up for free to everybody uh, for a limited time, no credit card required to check it out um, and really actually start to get access to all of that, including um, not only all of the content that's there uh, completely free, but it, which you can, I mean, you'll just have literally completely free, um, but also a, a direct line to the entire Common Thread Collective growth marketing team, which is amazing. I've, I've gotten to work with a lot of these people as I've stepped back into the CTC world. Um, but there's 150 people on this team. It covers e-com strategy, creative, email, SMS, paid search, paid social, like everything that you need to run a business and you can get access to all of it for free. So if you've never checked out Admission, go and do that. This is an absolute great, uh, absolutely great opportunity to go try it out completely for free. Um, again, no credit card required, anything like that. Go to youradmission.co, youradmission.co. Check the show notes. The link is there. Uh, you don't want to miss that. And uh, even in an episode here, where I'm going to talk about what it means to get great, like getting armed with this information will really help you. So go do that. Hello and welcome to the e-commerce playbook podcast. My name is Andrew Ferris, and I'm so glad you've joined me for another episode. This week on the show, I'm going to be talking about the need to be great, to be great somewhere in your business uh, and why that is a separator right now for e-commerce businesses in a unique way. I talked a little bit about this uh, a couple weeks ago when I talked about maybe the end of the DTC pure play era, but I wanna talk about this a little, on a little more of a tactical level instead of just the reflection, to think a little bit more about what are the areas of your businesses, of your business that you are um, addressing and trying to really make a separator for you. So um, no further delay, let's jump in and talk about uh, what it means to build a business that can, can win in this moment in time. Okay, so I think I've referenced before that I'm about to give you like the worst, most unhelpful advice in the world. Not the worst advice, just the most unhelpful, which is to get really good. Um, but it's a point that I keep coming back to over and over, and it's it's spurred by the data set that I've been working with, with Aaron Orndorff and the Common Thread Collective team. You've, you've maybe seen it on Twitter or some other places. You've heard me talk about it on this show. Um, but it's a compilation of over 220 um, e-commerce stores I think it's like $6 billion or $5 billion or something in GMV. Um, and and it's this amazing picture week over week that I get this opportunity to look into and um, and see sort of what's happening in the e-commerce landscape from what I think is the largest publicly available e-commerce data set in the world. And it ranges from like enterprise large stores um, to very small new D2C businesses and sort of every, everything in between. I mean, really everything in between all kinds of different verticals, all that stuff. And what continues to strike me is, first of all, I mean, there's, I'm, I'm, 
you know, I'm not going to be the first person to tell you, and I've said it before, and I talked about it on the on the episode about um, pure play D to C maybe being dead, um, but just that uh, that it is a struggle right now for a lot of brands. It, it really is. The macro trend is there's a lot of brands really hurting. Now, at the same time, I am working with and watching and seeing individual brands like smashing. It, like so, so it's not like nobody can win right now, right? Um, it's not the Great Depression, and so. Yeah, so there's there's this opportunity, and um, and the thing that really jumps out to me, and, and the the distinction I've made before is like there was, um, uh, and I've I've seen uh, Taylor Holiday make this distinction too. There was sort of what I would call the arbitrage era of of Facebook ads uh, and e-commerce, um, especially Facebook ads, and then there's the now there's the the post arbitrage era of e-commerce, and the arbitrage era is that time when Facebook ads was much easier and in the digital real estate of people's news feeds was simply underpriced. It just was. And so like it, it made all the sense in the world to scale really fast there. Um, and that just, that world is gone. Like it's just a lot harder of a game than it was then. And so I'll, and, and because there was this arbitrage opportunity, what that meant was a lot of very average or worse brands were able to throw stores online Um and by the way, I mean average in a lot of different areas, like like operationally average, margins average, product average, brand average, just average across the board. But be, but you could throw up an average brand. It was still hard. Don't get me wrong. There was it was still challenging to run these businesses. But like it wasn't nearly as hard as it is now. And you could be successful with a pretty average set of set like sort of core business DNA. And now. What I think is that the brands that are really getting crushed are the brands that uh, that um, are are in that kind of average space. Like they just can't keep making it because the challenging macro environment exposes all the weaknesses of the brand. Suddenly, like your cash turn is really bad, or like your inventory turn is really bad cash wise. Suddenly, like. Uh, you know, you're trying to scale and you just can't reach new customers and like your old ones aren't coming back that much because your LTV was never that good in the first place. And like, it turns out you, you know, as soon as you start paying two to one in ROAS instead of three to one, like, well, look at, I have no inventory left over and there's no multi-channel and whatever. Like there's all these different things are happening. And in those brands right now, I think are just getting destroyed. Um, so the brands that are winning on the other hand, are brands that have some feature, some element of their business that make them really uniquely good. That they are great at something. That they're great at something. And those brands, so far as I can tell, are winning. And of course, obviously, if you're great at a lot of things, then even better. But the brand, but that's the case. Which means there's a really obvious takeaway here. If you if you are trying to build this brand. There, you need to, or you're trying to build a brand right now in e-commerce. You need to ask yourself this question: What can my business be great at? Where can my business be great? Like really great. Where can we be really excellent? And then how do I do everything I can to maximize the sort of like impact of that area of greatness in the rest of the business? What can I do to do that? Where can my business be like really truly? best. And, and it may not just be one thing, like for some of the brands I see, like I said, there's, there's a couple of them. And so they're, they're trying to build around multiple, but that's the question. Now I'm going to, and what I want to do for the rest of this episode is give you a few places that I see 
brands potentially being great and just give you a couple reflections on those um, and and how those brands are operating. So the first thing I want to point out here is is that um, one way that I see people sort of blithely answer the question of sort of how brands win right now is they'll say, well, you know, product is everything. Product is the real separator. Um, and I'll just tell you, like, I don't really think that's true. I think that there are a lot of brands that have very average products and and sometimes worse than average products that win. And so product can be an area where you're great, but it often isn't and it often doesn't need to be in terms of like the product's pure delight to the customer. I know it sounds crazy, but I just think it's like very obviously true when you think about it for a second. So product can be an area where you're great, but realistically, there are so many products that do really well that are not actually great. They're just fine. And, and so being able to, like you don't, you actually don't have to do that. And instead, what I want to point towards, uh, now again, there is, an, there is another thing here, which is that your product may actually be great. Um, and that may be the place where you win, uh, where you win in, in differentiating yourself. And so allow that to be the case. Like, I know of at least, I'm, I can think of at least one apparel brand where it is the, uh, I'll, I'll just say it by name, Born Primitive. Born Primitive. When I wear their clothes, it is the most comfortable stuff I put on my body. It is awesome for working out. It is awesome for around the house. It's awesome for everything. Um, I am a dude experiencing it as a dude. My wife is a lady experiencing their products as a lady. And so she's like sports bras and leggings. She feels the same way. And we've told all of our friends about it. And it is great. And you know what? I can just tell you for sure is happening in that business. It is growing and people are buying more of it. Like the LTV is real. Um, and, uh, and that's because, among other things, they got the product really right. Now, it's a super competitive category, like fitness apparel. Um, but the product is so great and it fits great and it feels great. And therefore, people come back and buy more of it. Now, that's not the only thing. That's not the only reason that they come back and buy more of that product. But I think it is a big part of it. In fact, Born Primitive is one of these brands that I look at that has grown a lot. I know because I'm friends with their founder. Like, I, I, I know for a fact that's the case. And they do a lot of things really well. And, and so, so the, all of these things compound, but, um, so the product can be a real difference maker and that can drive the LTV. Same was true with Bamboo Earth, um, skincare products that, that, you know, we, uh, we have as a four by 400 brand and still, um, operate like part of the reason that brand works and part of the reason it has massive LTV is because the product works awesome. They have, it's so uncompromising and customers come back and buy more of it because they love it and it solves the problem they're trying to solve. So don't, don't, um, don't mistake what I'm saying here to say like the product doesn't matter at all. But this is where I want to take you to another thought here. So the product may be the place where you need to really invest in your category. Um, uh, quickly, it also may be the case that your product actually like has no, it, it's actually impossible to discern how well it works, but the, but the customers might like it anyway. And so they just need to trust it for another reason, even if it is great. Like it's, it's indiscernibly great. I'll give you an example. I drink noon tablets every single day. Um, uh, in, in the morning, I drink some, you know, sort of a clean electrolyte. And um, I have no idea if it's a good product relative to the market. <laughs> I have no idea. I just trust. I, I believe that it is helpful because of uh, some things. Long story, doesn't matter. Uh, it seems to have helped me 
hand uh, with a couple of things. I've seen some other information suggest to me that the product category is useful, and so I drink it every day. Is it much better than Element or worse than Element? I don't really know, and I don't really care. I can't even tell if it's working really. Um, it has a preventative value, actually, in my life. So, um, so there are lots of products like that that you, you're just really not going to even notice if they are great or if they work or not. And so that's just the reality. So it's just not enough for me to say make the product great. Instead, uh, that, while that may be the or an answer, I want to think about brand for a second. And this is something that I think people come who are coming into the, um, particularly the performance advertising world, really struggle with. Um, they, they just don't value brand very much uh, a lot of times. Um, and that's, I think, a lot. Sometimes that's conditioned by experiences with people who are so frustrating about brand. Like, let me give you an example. Um, I remember having a client once where I was just banging my head against the wall because I felt like I had ads that were winning and they would not let me run them because they thought they were off-brand. And over and over and over and over again, they... Uh, they like just, we, I would just, I would go back and forth and I liked these guys a lot. I thought they were awesome people, awesome operators, like, like just great people with a really cool, really great product, really cool. But, but they just wouldn't, it was impossible to get any imagery approved. And I was sitting there going like, come on, let me run this ad. We're all, I remember I told them once in a meeting, we're standing over a gold mine and everybody's arguing about how to dig instead of just digging. And, um, and and so I was so insistent and it was so frustrating because I would send creative and copy over and say like, I want to run this as an ad. I really think it'll work. And they just, they would, nah, that's not off. That's not on brand. And brand became the barrier to getting approvals and to moving quickly into selling stuff. And I just saw this problem of like, we couldn't sell stuff because, because, you know, somebody had the perception that it was off brand and it was, it was incredibly frustrating. And you might've had that experience in other places that like, Sort of, if you work in direct response advertising, if you work with clients, there's people who just like hold on so tightly to their brand and and it just and they won't let you do the things that you want to do that you know will work because you, they, they say it's going to hurt your brand. And it feels so vague and it feels so um, like unclear about what the brand standards are. And that can be an operational problem with this sort of thing. Like sometimes it's just one person's opinion as opposed to an actual brand standard. It's just, there is no brand standard. It's just like somebody's preferred aesthetic, uh, you know, on, on the team. Uh, but you might have had that experience and you might know that like direct response advertising, which is what Facebook ads is, is, is like really different than TV ads or, or brand builder ads in general, like anything where you're trying to change people's general perception of the product. And so, you know, your job is to sell if you're running Facebook ads and you're, and you're running D2C businesses. So it can be this massive pain point. Um, but I think that the care for brand and for building an awesome brand is is also manifestly true and useful as a way to sell products. Um, I just think customers are broadly irrational. And as a way to essentially bring people in, they need to figure out quickly how to make a decision about whether or not this brand is good for them, whether or not they trust it. And there's a lot of things that brand accomplishes, brand building accomplishes, and, and brand investment accomplishes that, that gets this done for customers. Um, but I think very clearly it's, it's a huge difference maker relative to the product. And, and often average products sell because the brand is great and people can't really tell the difference. I'm going to give you a, a long quote right now, but I think it's helpful from David Ogilvy, the advertising goat, um, and, uh, uh, genius, right. Um, and, and Ogilvy says in Ogilvy on advertising, talking about whiskey, he says, take whiskey. Why do some people choose, uh, Jack Daniels while others choose granddad or Taylor? 
Have they tried all... Uh, this is a different era, by the way. I don't know. I don't even know if Granddad or Taylor are still whiskey brands. Um, why do some people choose Jack Daniels while others choose Granddad or Taylor? Have they tried all three and compared the taste? Don't make me laugh. The reality is that these three brands have different images which appeal to different kinds of people. It isn't the whiskey they choose. It's the image. The brand image is 90% of what the distiller has to sell. Researchers at the Department of Psychology at the University of California gave distilled water to students. They told some of them that it was distilled water and asked them to describe its taste. Most said it had no taste of any kind. They told the other students that the distilled water came out of the tap. Most of them said it tasted horrible. The mere mention of tap conjured up an image of chlorine. Give people a taste of Old Crow and tell them it's Old Crow. Then give them another taste of Old Crow, but tell them it's Jack Daniels. Ask them which they prefer. They'll think the two drinks are quite different. They are tasting images. Now, I love that point. Of course, he's talking, you know, you're selling whiskey on a shelf somewhere. Um, and so so packaging matters a ton in that category. And this is true for, you know, if you think about a, a shelf of wine bottles is a category where, where like design makes all the difference in the world, the sort of label design, because they're just a million wine bottles and nobody can tell the difference between, between uh, this is a scientifically proven fact, like almost nobody can really tell the difference between good and bad quality wine, um, you know, uh, if, if you blind test them. And if you think you're an exception to that rule, you're very likely not. Um, and um, and so, so, you know, obviously Ogilvy is talking about that environment. But the point is, inside this bottle or underneath this packaging, right, there's, um, there is this brown substance called whiskey. And if you take, if you get rid of all the packaging in the bottle and you don't know what it is, like it's going to be so hard for people to really tell the difference and, and, and to tell what's good and what's not. And, you know, whiskey is obviously really popular right now. People have all kinds of preferences and, and I don't know. I mean, I don't have a great palate for this sort of thing. So maybe other people can really tell the differences between whiskey in a way they can't necessarily with with uh, with wine or whatever, but um, but Ogilvy's point I think is really really important here, which is that like the brand that is being conveyed in that setting is actually doing tons and tons of work for not only selling the product, but for influencing people's perception of the product, and that's those are both really important, and and so brand becomes this kind of investment that I think is a place where D2C brands um, could be great but often aren't. There was an article written uh, at some point that was bemoaning the rise of the, quote, bland. And it was sort of this whole takedown of, like, all of these D2C brands that all look and sound the same and all have the same image or style, whatever, you know. Um, and it was a little needlessly harsh, and some of those brands were probably good brands. But, um, but it was talking about sort of how everybody looks and feels the same in the D2C space. And I say all of that just to bring up that I think it's an area of investment and thinking that for a lot of operators could use a lot more depth and attention um, for conveying and selling products. Now, at the same time, in the early stages, what I'm not saying here is that you need to go spend $100,000 on a, on a website rebrand or something like that. Like, I recognize that budget is limited and, and all this stuff is relative to your stage of business, but it matters. It matters a lot. And... Uh, and so thinking about questions like, do I have a niche community and how do I make myself authentic to that community could make a really important impact on how your brand is perceived. This is another great born primitive example that that brand, I, I, and part of the reason I've followed closely is not only because I know the founder and, and worked with him and such, but also because it's in the CrossFit space and I've done a lot of CrossFit and, um, and have been involved in that community. 
And I've watched the way they have grown as a as one of the brands that is sort of not only native, but but like clearly a part like uh, perceived in a high quality way in every possible way in that space. And they've done a lot of things to build that trust in the space. Like a, a great example was when COVID first happened, they they did a whole thing where you could like buy product as a give back to your gym to help them stay open during COVID. It was a real care for people. Who, for whom like the, the the CrossFit gym is a major source of community in their lives. It has, as many people pointed out, almost a, a churchy kind of function in people's lives. And they cared a lot that space could stay open and they wanted to make sure that was okay. So, yeah, so I, you know, I look at that and say like, um, that brand was able to communicate, we know you, we're native to you, we, com- we, we care about you. And so not only is it great clothing that we're, you know, great apparel that is functional for what you're, you're, you're doing, but like, we're you and you are us. And so we have resonated with you. So niche community really digging in to make sure that they're, they're truly native to that space. Now you're not going to see an ROI on something like that on day one, but over the long term, it's going to build trust and people are going to believe in it. Um, visual design can matter here. Like, let's just be real. Like it can matter and it can be important. Getting your copy and your voice right can really make a difference to communicate what kind of brand you are. To David Ogilvy's point about whiskey, um, you know, different labels are communicating something different about the category. Um, and, um, and just, and, you know, influencers can matter a lot here. If you don't have money to go pay the influencer that you want, consider an equity deal, giving somebody a portion uh, that will allow them to pay out over time. They might be interested in that. And you can get a bigger influencer than you think. At Slick Products, we did this with Ricky Carmichael, the greatest um, dirt bike motocross rider of all time, and gave him a piece of Slick. Um, and um, and when Slick sold, he, he got some payout on that, right? Um, and we were able to work with him and at a, uh, you know, it's a level of athlete that we never would have been able to afford at the time because he had an, uh, an ownership stake in it. And that mattered. That allowed us to resonate uh, um, with the community of, of dirt bike off-road kind of people. So consider influencers. And, that, and those are all getting at the same question, which is how do you build trust with your audience on the brand side? Like to really answer that question, how are you going to take your audience, especially if there's any kind of community specifically, and, and build trust with them and let, so they know you're reliable. I want to say one more thing about brand. Um, and then I'll go through a few others of these that I probably won't take as long on. And I admit like part of this brand consideration was, uh, was part of how I was, uh, was part of what spurred this thought as well was thinking specifically about investment in brand to separate and to get rid of this sort of mushy middle arbitrage era brands. But that story I told you earlier about those operators, um, who I liked a lot and who I was banging my head against the wall at working with. Well, I was like a year or two into client services at the time. And that was actually the guys who, um, that client was Melon, M-E-L-I-N, um, Melon Headwear. And if, if you are not familiar with that brand, like at the time they were pretty small, but Melon now is a monster. Um, I don't know their exact numbers, but I've just like kept up with them a little bit. And like, they are just crushing. They're a, they're, they're absolutely crushing. And you know why? Because they, they, among other things, and I'm serious, I think this is absolutely one of the reasons why, they doggedly maintained their brand. They recognized that in their category, headwear, and at their price point, which is premium relative to the category, um, they needed to separate themselves out. And what mattered most was not the short-term win of an ad, but the long-term build of a brand in a category that could really work. So I like... It ended up being that I was totally wrong in the way I was approaching that. We we were indeed standing over a gold gold mine, but they were digging in exactly the right way, and I wanted and I wanted to dig 
somewhere else, essentially, right? I wanted to say, I don't know, I'm going to stretch the analogy to the point where it's going to break, but you get the idea. They actually were digging in to go get the gold. They were just doing it in a way that I didn't understand was actually more effective. Um, and now that brand really is, is massively, um, is, they're just killing it. They're doing awesome. Uh, I think they've probably like 50 X since, <laughs> since the time I had, the, since the time I was mad at them for being dumb, quote unquote. Right. Um, so those are good guys. Hopefully if they hear this, they'll, they'll remember that conversation as well. And, and, uh, yeah. Um, so brand, I could say a lot more about that, but think about that more in, in any kind of consumer space. How are you really resonating? How are you separating yourself? I do believe, by the way, one last thing, Bamboo Earth does this well as well, which is the there's this message around um, caring for women uniquely that I think matters for the LTV in that business, that people are resonating even beyond the products themselves. All right, I want to talk about a few other areas where I think um, you can you should consider how to adjust this to be great. One of them I've talked about recently, and that's margin. Um, some businesses are not going to work purely, and this is a point that uh, Nate Poulin, who's been on the show, um, has made before, but like just that, that margin is not going to work D2C for a lot of businesses. And, and, um, and to really seriously go figure out how to invest in that um, and to go figure out where you can make your business work more. What products can you add if your current products don't get you there to add margin? What products can you add to add margin? Um, you know, are there higher margin products in your catalog that you are not investing enough in trying to sell and put in front of your customers? Um, and they're sitting right there because that is another area where I look at and say, um, like you have this opportunity to, to actually sometimes revolutionize your business. Uh, because even if you get five or 10 points of margin back, it can just make such a tremendous difference. Or if you can bundle products in a certain way, but if you can make margin to go from something that's average or worse to a real separator, it is an absolute cheat code in growing brands. If you're thinking about starting a brand, like this is one of the, this for me, if I was thinking about starting a brand today and I've considered it, um, this is one of the things that I would be most like I would, I would build my, my brands to reflect the margin that I wanted. And then I would try to do everything I could to go get that. Um, so again, to, to give you an example, like, um, uh, one way to approach margin is to look at the market and say like, Oh, this is how much I think you could reasonably charge for this product. Another way to approach margin would be to say, this is the, this is the category I'm in. This is how much money I need to charge to get the margin that I want. Now, how do I solve for presenting a premium enough brand to be able to charge that much? Uh, because that is that is ultimately um, what you're trying to do. And this is where, again, this becomes a marketing and brand challenge as opposed to just saying like, this is the this is the margin I'm given. What a lot of people do with margin is they, they, they take it as a given, like a... Um, like a, like a DNA element of their business, like it's unchangeable. And it's just not, it's like, there's just a lot of stuff you can do, particularly on the marketing side to say like, here's where I want to be in this space. Um, so I would consider how do you build margin as a possible place to invest? It's not the only place to invest. Talk to another brand that is pretty low margin and they do that on purpose because they want to be generous to their customers. And so they're building a different kind of thing. So there you go. Um, in fact, then they create a different challenge, by the way, another brand challenge, which is how do you show that you are premium enough? Um, how do you, if you're going to charge less than premium brands in your space, how do you still message quality? That's a marketing challenge and that's a brand challenge. And it's a really hard one. Uh, in fact, I was talking to the CMO at this brand uh, where we we're talking about this exact thing. I said, like, how do you show that you are like the premium players in your space in terms of the quality of your product, but you're just much cheaper? 
Um, but it's the same quality. How do you show that? And he said, well, we've been asking ourselves that question for six years. <laughs> so it's hard, right? Uh, another one is LTV. LTV is on your basic products, on whatever your product set is now, your LTV is probably not really um, very easy to change. It actually is pretty hard to change your LTV um, on the current on the existing products. You can add some value with good retention tactics and all those kinds of things, um, and I believe in that. But it's probably not going to wildly swing. If you want to wildly swing your LTV, then you probably need to think about designing your business for that in a different way. Is there a subscription thing that you can add? Is there um, a digital product follow-up, you know, that is paired with your physical product that you can add? Is there uh, a new product you can add? Is there a way to build a new product? If you have a hero product, is there something that you can have people subscribe to on the back end of that specific hero product that goes with it in a, in a long-term way? Is there product development in a related category that can do that? Something has to change in your business to get the LTV you want. But that can be another place where there's a real separator. Um, again, if, if, you are, if you're able to get that, then what can you do? Well, um, uh, then you can acquire customers in a much harder acquisition environment and you can win on the back end. Really hard to do, um, but, you can, but you can do it over time. I think I talked about this with Slick Products. Something that we didn't realize early enough working with that brand was the LTV on that product set simply was never going to come in the way that we wanted it to. If we wanted to build LTV, we had to redesign. Um, OPEX can be another area. Some some people can figure out how to like I've watched this. Like people who are excellent at process and managerial. This can be this can be your differentiate differentiator. People are managerially excellent. People who are excellent at building automations into things. Um, who, who can just go and tweak and tweak and tweak their internal processes so that they need less manpower and that things move more quickly and easily and flow better in their business. Um, or that they're amazing process builders with teams um, or with outsourcing. They're incredible at like getting overseas VA type people um, involved and using them and moving them in the same direction. That they can, they can significantly reduce their OPEX so that the rest of their business can be relatively average, but that becomes the place where they make, them, make themselves really different. That's a real possibility, and it might be you. And if that's the case, go invest there. Um, and just in general, like, are there other tactics where you, are, where you have this unique ability to be great? Can you separate yourself based on those? Like, one of the ones I think about is SEO. SEO... Um, is I think a tactic that most people in e-commerce don't really use. <laughs> they don't really understand it very well. Most of us came up through the like PPC kind of world. And so um, so SEO can sometimes be underutilized. I was talking to my friend Jacob McMillan the other day about uh, a little while ago actually about like, man, it would be interesting. This is a content marketer building content focused businesses and that sort of thing, and, you know, media sites and stuff like that. And, and, you know, he's the kind of guy who like is selling copywriting courses and can do an awesome job um, on generating SEO value around his courses. Um, he's, he's buying and sort of flipping essentially like, uh, blogs in different kinds of spaces where, you know, it's just sort of, it's just the game of like how much traffic can you get via SEO? And then how many ad loads can you put on the page to make your money? Like those kinds of things. And he's awesome at it. And I felt like, man, wouldn't it be interesting to see that guy try to put that skill set into an e-commerce business? What could he do in, in a business like that? And could he actually 
um, take that tactic and really maximize it in this really powerful way. There is still a world of Facebook advertisers who are so tactically excellent that they can just kind of sell almost anything. You know, just give them, you give them a few different products and at some point they're going to hit on one because they just, they're just, they've got a process and a, a strategy dialed in where they just smash. But, um, but you know, that threshold is getting higher and higher. Same, this is also the case, by the way, for some, um, inbound PPC, like Google search shopping, that kind of stuff where, People can really win on that sort of thing as well. Um, so that's another question I would I would um, I would put in front of you is is there some kind of tactical skill that you are excellent in? If so, how do you build as much as possible around that skill? Um, how do you make that the differentiator for you so that you can do it? So um, a lot of different things you could do. A lot of different ways you could you could answer this question. But at the end of the day, the question remains: How are you going to be? great. How are you going to avoid the mushy middle of brands? Where is that opportunity in your business? And then how do you go after it? All right. I hope, I hope I haven't given you useless advice to go be great. I hope uh, my my goal with this episode is really just to get your wheels turning around a lot of different places. And and I hope that at some point, I hope that in in some of those places that you've been able to, um, uh, to find a spot where you think this is the place where I can really invest and separate myself from the pack. Um, I do want to remind you again, go check out Admission. If you haven't done it, youradmission.co. Um, it is an awesome opportunity. It's free right now. At the time of downloading this, I think until like May 25th, I think maybe, maybe 26, something like that. Um, opportunity to go check that out. Get it for free. Make sure to go do that. Otherwise, thanks so much for listening as always. I'm always so grateful. Uh, if you would share this, if you rate it, if you review it, that really makes a difference. If this has provided value for you and you want to say thanks, that's the way to do it. Um, and of course, connect with me on Twitter at Andrew J. Ferris. I'd love to talk to you there. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.